<laughs> I really don't have anything long-winded today. I have something very simple. I want it to be an encouragement to you. I want it to be a blessing to you. Um, I'm going to start it off by a little illustration. I had two in mind, but I think I'm going I'm, I'm to not use one. I'll save it for another day. But let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been lied to by the enemy? Yeah, it, it, would re, I, you know, it would really be an exception for somebody to say, no, they haven't. And if someone would be deluded to that point to think they have not been deluded by the enemy, that would represent an even bigger problem. Everybody's been lied to about the enemy. Do you like that? Do you like being lied to? Of course not. I want to tell a story about um, my little grandson. It happened, I think, two years ago. Janie's told this story before um, about him being, one day they had, um, Papa, was, Janie's dad was going to go pick him up for school, and he had to go somewhere for ministry purposes, and Janie went to pick him up, and when he saw her, he just got really upset, and he just wanted his papa to pick him up because he had been told his papa was going to pick him up. And he just flew off the deep end and just said, you lied to me. You lied to me. Papa was going to pick me up. You lied to me. Well, you're changing plans. That's really not being lied to, is it? However, there's another story with Gabriel. Now, Gabriel, you must understand. Ever since he's been little, he had such trust in authority figures. And he has such respect for the rules. It's just, it's just off the chart how he's, he, he's just mentally and emotionally, he is tuned in to people telling him the truth. His, he, from a little tiny fella, he was that way. But also when he was little, his papa, Janie's daddy, would take him out on the fishing boat in the pond behind their house. And he would fish with Papa, and they would feed the fish and, you know, just do the stuff that little kids like to do in a boat and on the water. Well, as Gabriel grew up, he, as most children are, full of questions. And so he asked his Papa one day, and I don't know where this question originated from, but he asked his Papa one day about the boat sinking. In other words, he maybe felt a little insecure one day. And he asked Papa the question. He said, Papa, he said, uh, does this boat sink or maybe will this boat ever sink? And of course, Papa, being the Papa that he is and wanting to spend time with his grandson on the water, he said, this boat, this boat's not going to sink. You know, something like that. And so Gabriel, in his mind, he, he received that. He respects Papa and he loves the truth and he really likes rules and he's, he's geared that way. So he believed Papa at face value, 100%, and that's the way he does. If he believes something, it's 100%, buddy. It's just law. I mean, he'll you know, he'd go to his grave believing that. And so anyway, Papa said the boat will never sink. The boat will never sink. Well, you remember a couple years ago in July, there was a, over the period of about three weeks, most of us got a lot of rain. I up home, it was 18 inches in the span of three weeks. It come like three inches one time and... Uh, five inches another time, and I think the last four days, 
of the, of the, the rainy period, it rained like 10 inches in some places. Now, I don't know how much it rained at Pawpaw's, but I do know that he had his boat docked at tied up. And it rained so much and so frequently, Pawpaw was not able to get the water out of the boat, and so it sank. Right there where he kept it tied up at, right where they feed the ducks and the fish, and right there where it's very easily seen from the back porch and that sort of thing. So Gabriel, in his little four or five-year-old self, he sees the boat that has sank, that his papa told him will never sink. And he confronted his papa about that. And I don't know the exact conversation that happened, but it was something to this effect. Papa, you told me this boat would never sink. And what is this? Here it is. It sank. Well, there's Papa standing there. He told Gabriel it would never sink, and, but it sank. And so he tries to explain his way out of it. But Gabriel, being the person who, who adheres to truth and, and is believable, he's very trusting, he did not let Papa off the hook. And so far as I know to this day, even though Papa drained the boat and got it back floating, so far as I know, he has never ever got back in that boat. See, with him, it's all or nothing. Black and white. And there are other people who are that way. And let me say this. You know, I grew up that way. I think I know where Gabriel gets a lot of it from. You know, I grew up that way. I had a, a very strong respect for people in authority. And whatever I was told, I believed it. Up until I was about eight or nine years old and the truth came in and I am not going to share. I'll share that story with you some other time when there's an appropriate audience. <laughs> okay? So I know, I know where Gabriel's coming from. And maybe you, can, maybe you can empathize with Gabriel about this business, about trusting and you know, honoring the truth and truthfulness. But there, there, there's something with a person that's, that's geared up that way. And I think maybe all of us, we could say this, what I'm about to say, it, it, it references all of us in here and it's, it's to a degree applicable to everybody. But, but especially to a person who who really latches on to what is said, and they believe and, 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 and that sort of thing about certain stuff. If they're ever lied to at an impressionable age, and, that, and, and regardless of how we try to explain if they're ever lied to, it can have a lasting effect in their life. And it can affect them in a very profound way. For example... It can make a person who's geared that way, it can make them really susceptible to the lie of the enemy. You may think that's strange. But, but, but people who are geared that way can believe something that's not true and through the belief of that and, and then later finding out that it's not true can have an emotional, psychological, spiritual, and sometimes a physical effect on them. In other words, a person who, who really 
who really believes and, and wants to believe the truth and wants to believe the words that someone else speaks. It can, it, can, it can be a good thing, but it can also produce a lot of hurt and hurtfulness. Now, none of us want to be hurt. You know, and none of us want to be lied to. And we all, I think I can say without exception, we all hate the enemy and his tactics. But he's a liar. He has never told you the truth. He will never tell you the truth. He will twist it and pervert it and make it sound truthful and sound biblical. But it's really not. It's a lie. And he uses that lie to cause you pain, hurt, and that sort of thing. Causes you the initial lie, the profound experience that you have with discovering the lie that someone says in your life could cause you to look at that person with doubt and suspicion from that day forward. It can cause an impasse in relationships. Okay? It could cause the person, if it continues, I'm just talking about like a child, okay? just like Gabriel. Now, Gabriel loves his papa, and there's no impasse in their relationship that I'm very aware of, but in a situation like that, or something that may have happened in, in your life that rang a bell with you this morning, you know, that you, it could cause Gabriel to have a problem in his relationship with his papa. Then, as things progress and as that person grows up, it could cause a person to think, well, you know, maybe the reason I was told a lie is because of my fault. You know, maybe I'm to blame for that. And it could cause a person to have uh, very low self-esteem. You know, listening to that lie and that lie being promulgated, it affects you psychologically and mentally. Then, then as that person grows up a little bit older, it causes them to have doubt and suspicion about anybody who tells them anything, you know. And it causes a person to begin to shut down emotionally and rejection issues come into play and, and self-image issues come into play. And then it gets to the place where ultimately the enemy's plan is to lie to you to the place and for it to disrupt your life in such a way as it would affect your relationship with God the Father because He is ultimate truth. See, that's why He's a liar. You know, he wants to affect your life to the place where you can't even believe God anymore. Because everybody, start with mama, daddy, friends, family, relationships, acquaintances, authority figures, government, dot, 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 dot. He wants you to have so many bad experiences with being lied to that you get to the place where the ultimate authority, the ultimate thing, the ultimate being, the ultimate creator, your father, he's a liar just like all the rest because you can't trust anybody. See, that's where he wants you to go. And I'm going to tell you, he's pretty good at that. Because I'll be straight up frank and honest with you. There's been times through my life that, that I've, I've wanted to lean that way because the track record proved that I couldn't trust anybody much, you know? And been hurt this much with this way and that much with the other way and just created a history of, of lies and hurt and pain. You just get to the place where, heck with all of it. People get that way. And they can respond to it in a variety of different ways in terms of their, their actions that they act out in life. See, that's what the enemy wants. He wants you to get to the place where you don't trust God anymore. Because if he can get you to make that decision, if he can, if he can get your mind to just turn that key and lock down, then he's hobbled your destiny. He's hobbled the joy of your salvation. He's hobbled your 
your, your, your primary relationship with the one who created you, who loved you, who wants nothing but the best for you, who will never lie to you and always tell you the truth. See, the enemy wants to tarnish that. Have I made sense in any way at all? And we can be affected by that in every stage and facet of adult life. In some cases, if, if we don't find a way to combat that, and if light can't overcome darkness, and if, and if we can't get the victory of faith and belief through that, and if, if we can't appropriate the promises of God just and, 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 and combat that, it, at some point it just careens out of control. And the sad thing is, is we can pass that on to our children, we can pass it on to our grandchildren, we can affect our, our, our neighbors, we can affect the people we work with. It can just get ugly. And I'm going to be honest with you, just as honest as I can possibly be. You know, I have fought the battle of the lie all of my life. And there's been seasons where I have caved into it. And it has affected me mentally and psychologically and emotionally. And spiritually. Now, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to say this in... in in terms of testimony, is that <laughs> I don't know exactly why, but it's, it's been a lot better in recent history with me. I've discovered at 56 years old that the enemy, everything is smoke and mirrors. I can look back on my life and I can see the mistakes I've made. Some of them are in direct relationship to it and, and, and it, they parallel and run like a railroad track system side by side with the lie of the enemy. But in recent history, and I have to give, te I give testimony, and I just feel it well up in me. God's just so good. And I've come to realize that he's never lied to me not once. Not, not one single time has God ever lied to me. And I've had, I've had some difficult circumstances and instances in my life. And Janie could probably, she could, make up, she could write a book about it. <laughs> God has never lied to me. And I want you to understand that God has never lied to you. And we have to learn how to handle and deal with and combat the lie of the enemy. Okay? I remember years ago uh, when I first started preaching, I'd, I had a strong concordance and all this kind of stuff. And, there, you know, I, I mentioned before that phrases and, and verses and subjects kind of pop in my head. And I remember one day when we lived in Vidalia and I was just beginning to preach a little bit. We call it supplying around it about through the denomination. I was a supply preacher. I was, a, I was licensed to preach. And I remember one day I just got this thought in my head and, and it, was, uh, it was no man is an island to himself. And I was thinking that week about uh, uh, how social creatures we are and how much we depend on each other. And so I wanted, I wanted to find that scripture that said no man is an island unto himself. And I'll tell you, I looked for a half a day in that concordance. That's not scripture. It sounded good, but it's not scripture. I'll give you another one. 
An idle mind is the devil's workshop. I looked for that one time too. You know what? That's not in the Word either. But there's a principle there. And it involves our mind. You see, this is where the enemy hits you first. It's right here. Why? Because your ears are hooked really in close proximity to your brain. And we have a tendency to believe things we hear. If it sounds good or sounds kind of biblical or if it sounds moral, but it ain't quite the word, but it sounds good. Okay? Also, closely connected to our brain are our eyes. And we're visual. And if we don't see God sometimes in our lives with our eyes doing what we expect, then the enemy can begin to talk to us and say, well, he never really loved you because you know, your life doesn't measure up to what you expect and what you want and what you desire. So he doesn't care anything about you. So we can hear the lie of the enemy. Sometimes it comes in that little voice in our head. Sometimes it comes through the voices of others. We believe the lie that people tell us about ourselves, you know, how many times have, and this just this really, really galls me to be in Walmart or a public place and some parent flies off the handle with their little ones and they're just frustrated and they do it. And they said, you know, you're no good for nothing. You'll never amount to anything. And they just begin to curse their children with the words of their mouth. You know, they hear that. And after a while, they can begin to believe that. I just, I'm telling you now, I can't stand it. And so our mind... What we hear and what we see, but also what we feel and think in our heart. As the enemy begins to barrage us with, with negativity and lies and curses and all that stuff. Um, we need to learn how to deal with that. And, and a lot of times, in our zombie-like mentality, we'll believe anything. Because we have an idle mind. And... and and we have so many things to fill our mind today that maybe are not wholesome. I, I love social media. I love Facebook. But I'm going to tell you right now, uh, if that thing is used the wrong way and if you have the wrong kind of influence on your friends and the, and the posts they're making, it'll begin to pollute, twist, and distort your view of life and God himself. Okay? I'm a social person. I like to engage people and I like to talk. You know? But if I surround myself with the wrong kind of people, if I have an idle mind or a mind given to latching on to certain things and, and uh, easily duped, then you know, I'm in for trouble. So today I want to share with you something from God's Word about how we should occupy our mind. And this is, this is a biblical strategy to occupy your mind with what God has intended it to be occupied with so that we would have victory in our life. And so this strategy I'm going to share with you produces an effect that we all need desperately. And I'll share that effect with you in just a minute. Philippians 4, 8 through 13. And I probably won't use all this because I told Deborah we would be through at about a quarter till and I've got a little over 15 minutes. And so I'm going to share this with you quickly because I think, I think we probably are all kind of we're right where we need to be in terms of knowing this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, okay, let's just leave it here on this verse. 
Dwell on these things. The, the King James says, ends like, think on these things. In other words, occupy your mind, put your thinker in gear, uh, make, make an absolute deliberate, uh, a deliberate action, and begin to put your mind on these things. Think on these things. Because I've learned, and maybe you have to, I've learned it through my life whenever I get idle, and when my mind has opportunity to wonder, dear Lord, have mercy. And I'm a thinker. My wife will tell you, and I'm, I'm a little hard of hearing in this ear, but my wife will tell you this. When I think on something, if I've got my mind engaged thinking on something, I can't hear a thing. I can't. I just, I can't. I think, and this may be crazy. You know, you may think, well, you're making excuses. I, I promise you, I'm not. I'm telling you, if I am thinking on something hard, I can't hear a word that is spoken if you're sitting next to me. She has gotten so mad with me so many times, said, you're not listening. And I've told her time to time, I said, I'm thinking. My hearer and my thinker does not work together. It's like the dog Jack at the house. His wagger and his barker are hooked together. And when he's barking, he's wagging. And when he's wagging, he's barking. But my hearer and my thinker does not work together. They are not connected. And I want to use that to say this. If we have our mind fastened on this stuff, then we are less likely to hear what the enemy is lying to us about. And I'm not saying my wife's a liar. Please don't you dare twist that example and illustration. Because if you do, remember, I'm packing. I carry a weapon. <laughs> Isn't that right, Cody? And I, got, I got ammunition yesterday, didn't I? And my daughter bought it for me. I'm, I'm, I'm armed and loaded. No, I'm kidding you. And I am learning, honest to goodness, I am learning what not to think about. Because the enemy has two or three things. If he can get me to thinking about it, it starts me down a trail. And that trail will detour. And that detour will detour again. And then there will be another turn in the road, another, another route. And after a while, before long, he's got me so tangled up in something so far afield and off base, so far away from the Lord, or it's a, it's a hot-button issue with me. I found myself, listen, I have found myself getting mad with the whole world in a pickup truck and nobody else around. Have you ever been that way? He knows what buttons to push. He knows what topics to bring up. He knows what lie to speak to you again over and over and over again just to get you off track and away from God. And then you, you, you come to yourself and you say, I'm mad or I'm hurt or I'm rejected and there's nobody around but me. But he knows what to bring up in your history. He knows what hot-button topics are. He knows how to get you to go down that trail when your mind is idle. That's why. Fill your life with the Word of God. Start there. But even if you fill your life with the Word of God, that's not going to keep him from lying to you now, is it? 
No. And so you have to have a strategy to combat the enemy right up here between your eyes, behind your eyes, and in your heart. You've got to have a strategy. Here it is. Okay. Whatever is true. Back up just one second. Whatever is true. And I kind of, I just, I got these little things this morning. I wrote them down real quickly at the kitchen table. What's, whatever is true. Well, what are true things? True things are truthful things. Things that aren't lies. Things that are solid, substantial truth. That's why you need to have the word hid in your heart because Jesus said, Your word, O Lord. The psalmist said, Your word, O Lord, is truth. That's the word of God. Whatever is honorable. What is... The King James used honest, okay? What is honorable or what is honest? Well, it's honest stuff and it's honorable stuff with something else connected to it. It's... It's honest stuff and honorable stuff that we revere. In other words, you revere and respect and desire the honest things, not the hidden things of dishonesty. The devil, is he honest with you? Half honest. See, this is it. He twists everything. Okay. The next thing, whatever is just. What does just mean? Well, just is a legal term. So whatever is just, which means righteous, which means observing divine law and something that will pass in a divine court of law. So we are to think in whatever is just. Whatever is just, whatever is righteous, and whatever will hold up to God's standard. Whatever will pass in his court of law. In other words, here's one of the things I'll give for you. When he tells you you're no good, when you're dumb, when you're slow, if he pulls up your past and throws it up in your face today, the stuff before you were saved, if he does all that kind of stuff, that's not righteous. That won't pass in a court of law because when Christ saved you, he made you righteous. We are the righteousness of God in him. Our identity is in Jesus. You are good. You are of value. You're of worth. Your past is not to be mentioned because you've already been to trial on that and it was held through the blood of Jesus and you're deemed innocent and acceptable and worthy now. That's what you are. So don't listen to him when he talks about your past. Whatever is lovely. I think the uh, King James says whatever is pure, but pure and lovely. What does that mean? Well... Here's where we have, in our modern age, here's where we have difficulty. It's whatever is chaste, whatever is modest, whatever is immaculate, whatever is pleasing and acceptable. We have trouble with that stuff. We, you know, we live in a Miley Cyrus world. A Justin Bieber world. We live in a Lady Gaga world. That's the kind of world we live in. That's the kind of world your children are being raised in. You know, when, when Monica and Amanda and Melissa were coming along, I remember we lived in Macon. We just started out in ministry and they were young. 
And I started buying them all kind of worship music. Bought some Carmen stuff. We bought, uh, what else did we buy? We bought, uh, oh gosh, I can't, Casting Crowns maybe. And we bought some um, Point of Grace. Yes, and, and uh, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman. And buddy, I started buying worship music that would appeal to the modern beat. You've done, did you do that, Wayne? Did you really do that? Okay. And what it was, this was an attempt on my part to steer them away from the stuff I used to listen to. I'm serious about that. The stuff I used to listen to. I wanted to fill their mind with music that was chaste and modest according to God's standards so they perhaps wouldn't be turned the other way. I did that. And we did other things. And so the point here I'm trying to make to you is if you have young children, you need... I'm going to tell you. I went into a pastor's friend's home one day and it was, it was, it was one of those older houses. It, they had a primary place that built years ago and then they added on and it was sort of sort of hodgepodge and you could tell it, it wasn't, didn't have a lot of planning to it. And there was one place in the house where you actually had to walk through a bedroom to get to a particular living area that they used, like a study. And the place you had to walk through was one of the kids' bedrooms. And I wasn't, I wasn't looking to be nosy, but I was walking through there and on a bookshelf were this particular teenager's, uh, the music they were listening to. And I wasn't too far removed from it, and I, I recognized some CD covers. And what I saw was Metallica and Black Sabbath. And I saw other CD covers that gendered and fostered death and it presented a, a bad message. And uh, ben, I, I didn't say anything to my pastor friend, but I, I began praying for his daughter. Now, you know, you might find something on our bookshelf, our place, what we do that would, have, would offend you, and you'd wonder, well, well, what about this? Well, the thing is this, is we all need to be careful, don't we? So if you're raising children, you need to be aware of what they're listening to, what they're reading. You need to be aware of who their Facebook friends are. Uh, I'm just telling you, you need to monitor what goes on in your house because you got one shot at this. Got one shot. And so those things that are, and these are old-timey words. These are like words that come out of the Middle Ages. Chaste. Who uses that word anymore? Modest. Pleasing. Acceptable. Moral. Somebody had a moral compass. Because what my kids were exposed to and what that other teenager were exposed to is tame. You hear me? I'm on a little soapbox. It is tame compared to the Miley circus world we're living in God it's going to get worse you know I specifically don't watch the MTV awards because of stuff like that but I tell you what the next day it was everywhere make you sick you know and we need to be praying for her and I'm going to tell you something happened to her when she was young that nobody knows about yet that formed that in her so anyway I'm going to get off that soapbox okay Whatever is commendable. I think the King James says whatever is good report, good report. You know what that means? What's commendable? It's what sounds well. 
Something that sounds well according to what? The voice of God in you. The spirit of Jesus that lives in something. You know, listen with your ears. Does it, does it sound good? Well, if it doesn't sound good, you shouldn't, you shouldn't believe you think about it and it'd be good either. Whatsoever is good report, whatever sounds well. Biblically, godly. If there be any virtue. Now here he makes a transition. If there be any virtue, think on these, think on that. What's the virtue? Well, it's something that is moral uprightness. I'm going to tell you something. The world may tell you, social media may tell you, movies may tell you, music may tell you, your friends may tell you that um, I'm okay, you're okay, and you can pursue any kind of morality you want to. That's not what the Bible says. And we're going to have to make a decision, us, that's going to affect the next generation. Are we going to make a decision? Are we going to believe what God said and do what He said? Are we going to believe what the world is telling us and our kids to do? Something that is moral, morally upright. It's not out of style. It may be out of favor with society, that which is morally upright and doing that sort of thing. But you know what? Um, I don't think God's good with it. Now next, here's one. And if there be any praise, think on these things. Well, we all know what praise is. But it's, it's not praise to the Lord. I, it's not in that context. What it is, is whatever is commendable. Whatever is commendable. Whatever you can bless, sound it out. Whatever you can agree to, sound it out. That's in terms of this, in terms of moral uprightness and all this kind of stuff. Whatever you can... Uh, Express that's commendable, that would build up, strengthen, bring edification, that sort of thing. That's what you need to be sounding out. So in other words, whatever goes into your mind, you have to put a filter on it. And you have to deliberately think on these things because the enemy is going to give you things to think about and listen to that is contrary to this. And you know what will happen? You know what the end result of this is? You know what happens if you can... Use this strategy, which is very simple, which is a, a good program and a process to get where you need to be. You know what's going to happen? Come down. Let's see the next verse. Here's the end result. These, those things which you've both learned and received and heard and seen in me. In other words, Paul had these things and practiced and, and he demonstrated them. And the Philippians learned about what he did. They received what he did, they heard what he did, and they seen what he did. In other words, he was an example to them of what he had just been talking about. Do, and the God of peace shall be with you. You see, the result of this, the result of having your mind occupied with godly things, and I know we, you know, we have, a, we have a sense of humor, and we do things in jest. Like, like this morning, we talked about, before we got started, we talked about football and deer hunting. You know? And God leaves room for that. We can have activities. We can have actions. We can have hobbies. We can, we can do things and, 
and have fun and that sort of stuff. And God allows for that within, within parameters. But see, here's the result of, of, of doing verse 8 and living verse 8, practicing verse 8. Here's the result of it. And the God of peace shall be with you. How would you like to have peace? The peace of the scripture says, the peace of God that passes all understanding. It's bound up in this. You know why there's peace in this? Because you're not double-minded. Because you're not acting one way and, and, and thinking another. Because you're not trying to live a lie. And you don't believe a lie. It brings peace. When You know, I, I read something somebody said one time. Somebody said, if you, if you always tell the truth, you never have to worry about what you said. Isn't that great? Now see, that's not scripture, but there's a principle that is backed up by the thrust of scripture that is so true. Never tell a lie. You don't ever have to worry about what you said or remembering what you said. I think that's the way it was. And that was somebody like maybe Jeff Foxworthy said that. I don't know who it was, but it was somebody like him. Might have been Mark Twain, but it was somebody like him. But a lot of times the reason we don't have peace is because we've believed a lie and that lie has affected the way we think, act, and live. Because a lie will mess you up. But the truth does nothing but build you up. And that's, that's what I wanted to share this morning. It's just a simple principle, a, a, a life principle that comes from the Bible. And so this afternoon, and I'm going to tell you, there, like I said before, there are two or three hot buttons the enemy can use with me. But I'm not biting on them as much as I used to. I want you to be able to identify. I think the Lord wants you to be able to identify what those hot button issues are in your life. And you just mark them with a red flag. You know, you can mark, I can mark my email with a flag. And when I look at it, there's a little red flag that says, pay attention here. I think it would please the Lord if, if we would mark those hot-button issues that He gets us to thinking about that will cause us to deteriorate in our thought process and our living habits. Mark them with a red flag. And be so conscious of them that when they pop up, say, oh, no, enemy, I ain't going here. <laughs> I like the peace of God too much. I like the benefits of, of thinking about things that are good and just and holy and righteous. And I'm not going to think about your lies anymore because they've done nothing but harm me and, and do me damage. You see, I want to live out the rest of my days with peace and joy and hope and love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. That's the way I want to live the rest of my life. Isn't that a, isn't that a better way? That's a better way than how some of us have lived. So anyway... Let's just pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to thank you, Lord, for this great strategy you've given us. I want to bless your name. And Lord, I ask for every one of my brothers and sisters here today that this word find lodging in their heart and in their daily practice. Let us mark with red flags, Lord, the lie of the enemy that, wants, that he wants to torment us with and to affect our life and testimony with. 
And when that comes up in our mind, let's be very quick to identify it and deal with it so that we can continually, continually abide in the peace of God that passes all understanding. So there'd be peace in our life and in our spirit, but also in our family and in our jobs in the neighborhoods in which we live with our neighbor, in our community, Lord, if we're involved in, in community activities, if, you know, whatever it happens to be, and so that the peace of God can spread like wildfire. And so we can be a testimony to it through everyone we meet in Jesus' name. Amen.